Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Gospel Business Strategies podcast, where it is my job to share the beliefs, practices, and experiences of business owners, leaders, entrepreneurs, investors, pastors, etc., for the express purpose of growing you in business, as well as your varied spheres of influence, all while challenging you in your faith. My name is Kent Lapp, and I'm thrilled to be your host here on the GBS podcast. Really excited to introduce to you today the guests that we have on this podcast and the subject matter. But before I do that, if you haven't bought your ticket yet for our first annual Gospel Business Strategies Conference, you may want to go ahead and do that right now. We're calling it GBS Connect 2019, and it is built for business owners, founders, CEOs, and other business leaders of the Christian faith. Look, if you have business ambitions but hold Christ above all, these three days are built specifically for you, March 26th to the 28th, 2019. Now, prayer is actually a core value here at Gospel Business Strategies, and we're actually praying three very specific things for you for our time together if you were to attend. One, that during this time you would take a meaningful step forward in your spiritual walk. Two, that you would leave with a key insight or several that prompts the next significant step forward somewhere in your business. And number three, that you make at least one helpful connection at this conference that lasts a lifetime. Now, I know that's asking a lot, but I also know it's possible. And if we're going to spend three days together, we have really high expectations. And we know this can be of tremendous value if you're in business and you love Christ. So here's what you need to do. Go to gospelbusinessstrategies.com forward slash conference to buy your ticket at the best price today. Now, we are capping this event at 300 people, and we are getting a lot of interest, and tickets are selling. So be sure to get your ticket now while they are available, and be sure to enter the promo code PODCAST at the time of purchase to get an extra $50 off your ticket. gospelbusinessstrategies.com forward slash conference. Now, to the point of this introduction, I've been wanting to do an episode on money for a while. Uh, because I have lots of questions. <laughs> How much is too much? Is it okay to desire more? Is debt okay uh, in used in the business context? How does God expect me to steward that which he's given? And on and on. I have lots of questions around money. And today we dig into it with TJ Timms and Chad Shankel. And I want to introduce you guys to them and let you know why I picked these two guys to be on this episode specifically. TJ graduated from Southeastern Bible College as a Bachelor of Arts from King's College London with a Master of Arts and is a candidate for PhD at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland. And TJ is on track to be the next lead pastor at the church where we attend, Emmanuel Nashville. Chad is a VP of sales at Woodtex, and he's a dang good one, I might add, and I would know because Woodtex is, is one of my companies. And uh, he was previously a top sales leader for a large pharmaceutical company. TJ lives in Franklin, Tennessee with his wife, Jessica, and their three kids. And Chad lives in Jackson, Tennessee with his wife, Sarah, and their two kids. Now, why TJ? Why Chad? Well, I'm actually really glad you asked. Uh, TJ used to be in business. Uh, he's really smart. He thinks well about these things. He recently preached twice on money, actually, in just a few months' time. And most importantly, TJ has a way of bringing everything back to the gospel of Christ, and I really wanted that on this episode about money. Why Chad? Okay. I wanted Chad on here because Chad's a guy uh, that took actually took a significant pay cut to come on board Wood Texas VP of Sales. 
And that already tells you something uh, pretty insightful about the guy. He's in uh, significant business leadership. He's a really smart investor. He's very generous. And he's done a really good job both for and with his family. And he really cares deeply about others. And I really respect how he's made money, stewarded that money, and given that money away in a, in a true God-honoring way. I would say Chad is on a short list of guys or people that I know that has had success at that level. So that's why I wanted to have TJ and Chad on this episode. We dig into all the things that I said I have questions about, how to use money, what's our responsibilities, debt, what does the Bible say about money, and on and on. So I've taken enough of your time. Without any further ado, I give you my conversation with TJ Timms and Chad Schenkel discussing all things money. So TJ, I want to ask, I want to start by asking you a question. Those with a little bit of money seem to begrudge those with a lot. Those with a lot think they have all the answers. Politicians tell us it's the most important thing we can be concerned about. And the church often seems to be caught in the crossfire trying not to offend more than one of the three parties. So how do we find ourselves here, and what should we do about it? Well, the church is in the crossfires in a lot of ways. I mean, because the way that Jesus thinks about money is not simple. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, pastors who preach the Bible faithfully, who preach Jesus faithfully, if you are preaching Jesus faithfully, you are going to end up offending people on the left and on the right by the way that you think about money because mm-hmm. the presupposition is not the same. Basically, if you boil down how does the Bible think about money, the Bible thinks that money is for the glory of God and that you are not meant to put roots down on this earth because God's going to destroy it and make a new one anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're meant for heaven. You're going to outlast this earth. So you're going to constantly be offending the politicians because really they're here to, to make, and rightly so, make this a better place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to constantly be offending people who worship money in some other way, whether from the position of poverty or from the position of wealth, because it's possible to do it from both ways. Mm-hmm. Yep. So is this an American problem for 2018? Is this a worldwide problem? Is this a challenge that's always been here what what are you i'd be curious to hear both your thoughts on that actually i mean i think we're all sort of aware on like the challenges that we deal with today in 2018 and how our heart tends towards materialism so quickly Mm -hmm. is this a problem that's most prevalent in this culture or has it always been so i'd love to hear actually both your thoughts on that well i i think just the very fact that jesus talks so much about money should clue us in to the perennialness of money. Um, You know, because it's not as if, I mean, it was still the culture that Jesus walked the earth in was still very much a barter culture. I mean, you had an occupation, you, you traded a lot. It wasn't as if everybody was walking around with a ton of coins in their hands. Jesus didn't even have a coin when it came time to pay his taxes. So this is a perennial issue and the sheer amount of, biblical passage that relate to mammon or to money, mm-hmm. I think is evidence of that. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I don't I don't think this is a new subject or a new challenge that 
that we deal with that hasn't been dealt with for ages before. I think as far as materialism goes, I think there are different and more things that we can do with our money that in the past and, of course, in history that maybe they weren't able to to do with their money. But the haves and the have-nots have always been, I believe, a part of culture from the time from the beginning Mm -hmm. um and so i don't i don't think from that aspect that there are uh differences that it's much the same Mm -hmm. just um in a different way yeah uh tj i wanted to ask you because i think it relates here it sort of sets up the the context i think as we get into starting to talk more about the nuts and bolts of money but you mentioned in your sermon this past sunday that christ did not come to earth to create an example to follow (laughs) <laughs> Can you talk more about that? Yeah, it was intentionally provocative. <laughs> and um, basically, I wish that you could always preach a sermon a week after you've preached it, because I think I've arrived at more clarity now on that passage in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 and verse 9, where the Apostle Paul it talks about Jesus becoming poor. He says, uh, through his poverty, you uh, so that you might become rich. So the Apostle Paul, the only reason that the Apostle Paul wants you to have for giving is the grace of Jesus. That's your motivation in giving in Paul's eyes. And so that's the sort of carrot he dangles out in front of these Corinthians is, remember how Jesus became poor for you so that you could be made wealthy with his wealth, with his rich, with his richness. Um, So basically what I was trying to get at is any idea about money, any whatever system we're talking about i mean there's like a million ways to think about money now there's so many books go to barnes and noble there's so many books any idea any system of thinking about money any you know worldview about money that doesn't need jesus in the present tense in the future tense but can leave him safely dead in the grave and it will the system will still work mm. is not a christian system past tense jesus it does us no good whatsoever. And the Apostle Paul was not interested in biblical principles built on the example of Jesus, which did not need the future and present tense Jesus as well. Mm-hmm. So that's my whole point. If Jesus is merely a good example, if he can be left safely dead in the grave and still accomplish what we need him to accomplish for helping us steward our money, mm-hmm. then that clearly is not the way to think about money. Yeah. So, I, I, and I think that's that's super insightful. And it's something where it's like, when you said it in those terms is like, of course, but without hearing you say it in those terms, I don't know that I would have been able to like put it in that context. But why I think it's so important is because what you said, any system of money that can, that can do without Jesus today cannot be a Christian system of money. So Chad, here's a question for you. A system of money that could essentially do without Jesus today would be make as much money as you can and give away 10%. I mean, I'm not saying that's a wrong system. It's just, but I think it could do without money. So how do you think, I want to ask you, Chad, how do you think about both the theory and practice of money? And now we're just jumping right in mm-hmm. to, this is not a simple question, so it doesn't need a short answer. But how do you think about the theory and practice of money? Yeah, this, you can't answer this uh, <laughs> in, in a short or a short way, but so my my basic premise and TJ, I've actually listened to your your sermon twice um, on on the podcast and the one about it. money from a few weeks yes. ago, right, or a yes. month or two ago. Yes, yeah. 
Um, so I share a, a very similar overarching theory about money. And, and the first thing is that it is all his. Mm. So I do believe that I am simply a steward of everything that God has given me. And that would go beyond money. So I think God has given me a skill set to go and earn money. Um, so I, I believe that I should be a steward of that skill set and maximize the potential that he's given me to do that. Mm-hmm. And then when in in turn I'm compensated or blessed or given in return money for the skills that he has given me to earn it, then I should be a steward of of that money. Mm-hmm. You've heard me talk on this before, but another premise that I, I work under when I think about money for, for my family and for, for me is that I am on a journey. Mm. And there was a finite beginning of that journey as it relates to money and giving, but there is no end. So I never can arrive at the place where, okay, I'm here, I'm good. And that's what I encourage anybody that ever asked me about giving or tithing or money. I always just try to get them to start just wherever you are on that spectrum, start and continue to move forward. Um, because I, there is a, there is so much that I have to learn about money. There's a, there is a, a place, there's always a place that I want to get to that's next. Um, some of that does require more money. Um, some of it doesn't, some of it just requires more action and more faith and, and, and better stewardship on my part. Uh, so, the older I get, and, and this started as a as a young, a very young kid for me, and and I, I should give credit to my parents who literally started out every Sunday giving me a single dollar. I didn't, I wasn't making money. I, I had no reason to had no reason to tithe, right? Because I, I I wasn't making an income. But the act of giving me a dollar to put in the envelope and then write on there how many days I read my Bible. And if I went to Sunday school or, you know, I don't know if I, I grew up thing? in Southern Baptist. Okay. And, yeah, I'm, I'm cracking with yeah, you. Yeah. And so there, there were the, th- there's the little boxes on the right hand side. Did you bring your Bible to church? Check. Did you bring a friend? Check. Oh, did you read your Bible? How many days a week did we you read your Bible? In the Mennonite Check. church. Sunday school. <laughs> Check. So, and in that, I would, and, and then you write on the envelope, how much is in here? And it was always $1. Okay. But I go back to that as really a foundation yes. that taught me to give. Mm-hmm. And then as I started making money, I, ha- I have had a, I've had a journey in my whole thinking about how much uh, should I give on the net or the gross? Mm-hmm. Like I've I've gone through all those spectrums in in my journey of giving, and I'm not I'm certainly not where I want to be in the in the future. But I think the fact that I do honestly believe that every everything I have mm-hmm. is for me to s- simply be a steward of mm-hmm. that creates a different environment for me to work under and I can I can remember specific times in my life where I have physically in prayer or in meditation I have physically the act of me putting my hands out like this in in relation to 
my thoughts and my desires about how I want to handle money to where I want to, this is, this is a physical example of how I want to handle my money. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I want to feel like I'm always, it's here. It's yep. do with it what, what you want, because if I, if I hold on to it, then that's going to create an environment that can get sinful. What do you mean by with giving, there was a finite beginning, but there's really no end. What do you mean by that? Well, I had this conversation with one of my friends just the other day, and he was, he was communicating to me that he, he really wanted to give, but he felt like he had to give at least 10% or he wasn't given enough, but he didn't feel like he had the capacity to give 10%. So maybe at some point in time, he just, he just would throw his hands up and, and not, not do anything. And my encouragement was, man, just, just start, start giving. I personally feel like 10% would, would just be the, the minimum. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think for most people in our culture with, uh, you mentioned in your sermon, you said all of you, all of you are are rich. Just just travel to another country or another uh, another a third world country, and you'll understand how rich we are. Ten percent for me would not be a steward of the blessings that I have. Mm -hmm. um, I feel pretty strongly that in giving, and I do believe I do feel like there is a difference in tithing and giving or tithing and offerings. But I feel like it should have just a little bit of hurt to it. Mm -hmm. There should be a a sacrificial component to it mm -hmm. um, in order for you to. I should feel it. Sure. If it's if it's just stroke the check and never think about it after I do that, I think that should be a a red flag for me just to start thinking: Am I am I really where I need to be in my giving journey? Or do I really need to take a take a step back and and see is this is this really enough? Yeah, that makes sense. TJ, I'm curious how we should think about the tithe because, like Chad, one of your points in that sermon that you preached about on money, how that not just ten percent is the Lord's, but it's all the Lord's, is instructive. And yet, this tithe pops up so often. Mm -hmm. So, is the tithe for today? How should we think about the tithe? I'm I'm just curious to hear more. Yeah, well, it this is a uh, man. This is a real tender spot uh, among Christians. I I know a guy who um, has a very popular blog, and he is like so many people love this blog. He appeals so many to so many different um, you know kinds of Christians. And he wrote a few years ago. I remember he wrote a blog in which he talked about how the ten percent. Basically, he said just what you said, Chad. That. Um, 10% is like, um, just for starters, like this, we'll get going here at 10%, but you know, who, we want to give, we want to give all we can. I mean, the Bible um, speaks of sowing much so that you reap much. That's the way the Bible thinks about money. And man, he just called down a firestorm with this block. It was surprising. It was like the claws came out on people. And what it alerted me to is the fact that we really, at bottom, like a transactional God. I give you this, you give me this. You know, it's like the mob boss God. I just, I'm going to pay this much and you stay off my back. 
And and so the tithe is not wrong. I mean, Jesus talks about the tithe. The Apostle Paul in First Corinthians, when he he mentions that whoever serves the altar, um, that they have a right to the altar, is referencing the Old Testament tithe system that was instituted by God in the book of Numbers to take care of the Levites because they served um, the temple. They served, you know, they they offered the sacrifices. They they um, took care of the um, tabernacle, the temple of God, for the sake of the people of Israel. So if we put that, if we translate that in the New Testament terms, what that means is um, we are all ministers of Christ. Some of us work jobs so that we can give 10% of our money so that the the some of us don't have to work jobs. We can devote ourselves totally to the ministry of the word. This is a very Protestant way of thinking about ministers and 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 the tithe for that matter. So the tithe is kind of like, yeah, we got to do this because we care for um, not only for honoring the Lord, but for actually we care about our own souls so much that we recognize some people need to be devoted to ministering. That's all they need to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if we didn't, what if, what if Tim Keller, you know, also had to work another job and he couldn't be Tim Keller? How Christianity would be diminished in mm-hmm. this, in this world. So that's where the tithe comes from. But Christianity did not get from Jerusalem to Nashville, Tennessee on the 10% tithe. It got here because, you know, people like Barnabas in the New Testament sold the, the land that they had so that the church can continue to feed the poor. Early Christians thought about their money, not in terms of, I love the way you, you held out your hand, Chad, the open-handedness, not in terms of availability, but in terms of expendability. It wasn't a matter of, is my money available to Jesus? They were really just looking for the way to give it away that made sense. Uh, because they wanted to make it to the end of their days, you know, having invested all that they could into the kingdom of God. And a, a great, you know, recent example, although it's not terribly recent, is uh, uh, John Wesley. John Wesley, single uh, preacher, lot much like the Apostle Paul, he made uh, I think thirty-two pounds his his first year. It's all it took him to live on was thirty pounds. And um, what's the know, rough equivalent of that? Um, well, you know. Right now, I think it's like 1.37. I only know because I have to pay the University of Aberdeen um, dollars to pounds. So, but you know, it's like it would have been, you know, the rough equivalent of 50 bucks in the US back in the day. So, um, John Wesley, 30 pounds, um, could live the whole year. So, he made 32 pounds. He gave two pounds away to feed the poor and to whatever. The next year, he made something like 60 pounds. So, he lived on 30 pounds and gave 30 pounds away. Um, the next year, he made something like 150 pounds. He lived on 30 pounds and gave the rest away. And by the end of his life, he made 1,400 pounds, and he lived on 30 pounds and gave the rest away. When he died, the people you know, who were taking account of his estate, the only money mentioned that John Wesley left was basically the money in his pockets. And he actually says at one point, these hands will be my executors. <laughs> I will give uh, my money away. You know, I, can't, I think he says something like, I can't help but leave my books behind. But because I need them, you know, until I die. But that's the way that I think a Christian who is putting all their eggs in the basket of Jesus and heaven thinks about money. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple couple questions. <laughs> so one is you mentioned that the tithe is a Protestant way. So when I think about Protestant versus Catholic, so do Catholics tithe? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's not just a. I just wanted to locate it there so that people didn't think this is a weird way of thinking. I mean, Christians yeah. have thought this way for ages. About yeah. I, well, I never. The, the reason I asked was I never crossed my mind. I, I just. I never thought about specifically what Catholics might do. And when you said the Protestant way, then I was curious. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to ask both you guys this then. When it comes to spending money or investing money, should we think in terms of an aspect ratio, which is essentially, you know, the wider your graphic, the, the taller it gets and like it expands in direct proportion. Okay. So essentially if you're spending or investing in, in an aspect ratio sort of a way, the more money you make, the more you're going to spend, but the percentage stays the same. The more you're going to invest, but this percentage stays the same. The more you're going to give, but the percentage stays the same. Or should we think about it in terms of like an accelerator ratio, which is like, okay, the more money you make, the greater percentage you give. So you keep spending or investing at essentially the same percent rate, but the more you're going to give. Or like a ceiling ratio, which is what John Wesley did, which is like, okay, I have enough to live. I'm going to make this money above and beyond. I'm going to give away. So of those three different categories, what are, what are we saying is a good way to think about how you handle an increase of money today? I think Chad, Chad you're up. <laughs> uh, all right. So this gets back to that that spectrum that I'm that I've referred to uh, earlier, and I do have I do have a friend uh, that is a trusted friend of mine that I respect uh, greatly, who has what was the last one that you just uh, like mentioned a, like ceiling? A, I, yeah, I think like a ceiling. Yeah, so he he has uh, one of the goals that he has is transformational giving uh, to where he can really be able to transform organizations or things that he's investing in greatly because of the amount of resources that he can give to those in order to do that he has capped his his income that he needs in in his mind to to live on with his family and don't get me wrong they have a, a very nice living and th nobody would think they're living in a poverty uh, situation at all but then everything over and above that, um, he's giving it away. And I'm not there. So hear me say that. Uh, th that would be like, a, to me, in my mind, that's, that would be a goal for me to get there uh, to where transformational giving would be a part of, of what I'm doing um, and what I'm about. Mm -hmm. um, but when I think about that and when I think about how that really just unlocks God's ability to bless his life and, and what he's doing, his work, it, it really does challenge me. Uh, because if, if I have said, hey, I, you know, there, this is the amount I'm going to, to live on and everything else, God, uh, over and above that, it's yours. Uh, which we've already established that it's all his to begin with. I get that. But I, I think in practicality to, to live in that manner is a very challenging place for me to get to. I think so far in, in my life, as I have progressed in making more money, I have invested more money, I have given more money, and I have spent more money. That I think that would be the the common way that it's happens with most people, but I don't know that that's the right way 
Mm-hmm. And I also don't know that there's a right or wrong answer to that question because I don't think when God looks at my life that he begrudges me to, when I make a, a, a purchase of something that is nice because I do believe it's a heart issue, right? If my heart is still open to giving when I'm uh, convicted to give or when someone is in need, I don't think that God is upset that I have a nice house. Mm-hmm. I, again, I could be wrong on this. I'm not, I'm not TJ. TJ no, no. may be sitting over there. I going, totally agree. Man, he's that. wrong. Yeah, I totally That's agree. my thought. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would just piggyback on that to say um, that the touchdown of the Apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 8 9, that passage I, I, I preached this past week, is he he's moving toward in chapter 9, he's going to say, God loves a cheerful giver. So mm. the whole point in appealing to the grace of God is so that you, you stop asking the question, how much do I get to keep? And you think, holy smokes, I get to invest with Jesus? Like, I get to give like that? I get to have some affiliation in the sufferings of Christ? And it just totally flips the script. And God's just not interested in any other kind of giving. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he wants, in other words, he's interested in the heart. And so it really changes the way that you think about, you know, should I purchase this, I don't know, boat, you know, it, it where's your heart in it? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not a simple thing. Really. Yeah, it's not. And even so, I don't know your friend or I don't know who you're referring to, but as it relates to the thought process of working towards sort of a ceiling rate and you're going to make a certain amount and then after that, you're just going to give everything away. So I'm not there yet either. And like you, I would probably fall in the category of, you know, the more you make, the more you, well, quite honestly, the more you spend a little bit, the more you give, the more you invest. However, if it, it's still not quite cut and dried because to the extent that I'm working towards setting up my life so that it's, it's comfortable and then let's make it a little bit more comfortable and let's let's make sure we have the things you know we've always really wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we can get there, then we're going to ceiling rate and give everything away above. Even that, I mean, if you think about that, that that thought process is not correct either. Mm-hmm. So, do you have thoughts on that? Like, as long as I have you know a really nice place, and as long as my kids can go to really nice schools, and as long as you know, I've got the cars to drive that I want. And as long as, you know, I'm giving enough to people that notice to be known in certain circles, like as long as I have that, then yeah, I'll ceiling rate and give the rest above. That's actually even a selfish way to think about it. Also. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And I mean, back to what you just said, um, God loves a cheerful giver. I think he is looking at our, at our heart and our motives that we have not when we're talking to other people about, giving or or tithing or our, I think he really cares about why do you want to make more money? Mm -hmm. Why do you want to get, because I think even in giving a lot of times the motives are completely wrong Mm -hmm. Uh, because if you want your name on the side of the building, I would question that. Like, Mm -hmm. is your motive pure? And I'm not saying that having your name on the side of the building is wrong either, but I want to always check myself and, Am I proud that I can write a bigger check? Does that make me proud? Because if it does, then I need to check my heart. Or am I thankful and grateful and cheerful that I can write a bigger check? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's I think that's what he's concerned about. I feel yeah. like yes, yeah, yes. Okay, so 
there's a couple of questions sort of floating around and I'm, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to go with first, but I think I want to, one sort of leads to the other, but I do want to ask TJ as it relates to John Wesley making 30 pounds then he makes 32, he gives two away, then he makes 40 and gives 10 away and so on, but he lives on 30 pounds. How is that instructive to a business owner that if he would have been giving everything away above and beyond what he would need to live, his business or businesses wouldn't be around here anymore because when they went through a dip, he didn't have anything? Yeah. How should someone think about that? That's a great, great point. I mean, there's there's a lot of bandwidth in this thinking about money and it's really not there's we, we really want a formula we want it's why we gravitate toward systems of you know handling our money biblically we want somebody to just tell us what to do and it's one of the reasons i i, I wanted to start today talking about um the you know the present tense jesus because Wesley was navigating reality in step with Christ, uh, with the Holy Spirit, and that was how he was meant to live. And John Wesley was on the planet, um, you know, he was an, an 18th century man here for a very specific reason. And he he's not the same as, uh, you know, George Mueller, who had another, or Charles Spurgeon. I mean, like, all of those guys thought very liberally with their money, but they thought differently about it based on what they were accomplishing for Jesus. So, I mean, it's one of the reasons I think that every, every I, I say this to young guys a lot, but every guy should know, he should have one sentence for why he's on the planet. And everything in his life should be focused toward that. So if a guy's on the planet to build a company that, you know, employs a thousand people for the glory of God, then he's going to prioritize his money differently because he has a fixed end goal. So it's not just that he's on the planet for Jesus. He knows why he's on the planet for Jesus. And Wesley knew that, and Wesley didn't need a lot of money to do that. In fact, a lot of people don't know that, that John Wesley spent, whenever the, um, the Methodist movement really just you know, took off, I mean, we're talking revivals, and there were lots of young preachers coming up. And, and Wesley had to spend a ton of his time fundraising. So here's this guy who lives off 30 pounds a year, no matter how much money he makes, and he's traveling the country spending something like, you know, 70% of his time fundraising for other people. So he actually dealt in money a lot, but personally, the way that he thought about money, he was very shrewd. He had, he had like four silver spoons, two in one house and two in another part of the country. That's hmm. it. And he was even investigated by, by the equivalent of the IRS then, hmm. because they thought nobody who takes 1,400 pounds a year could possibly have this little possession. <laughs> but, you know, so I just think there's a, it, it basically is the man walking with Jesus and, and knowing why he's on the planet, it's going to shape the way that he thinks about his finances. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Anything you want to add to that, Chad? No. Okay. So the, the other question that this leads to then is because I think it does depend on what the end goal is. So, I thought the end goal was that you prove your stewardship by getting to the end of your life, having money, having investments, having set up your family for success, having been able to give your kids the best life possible and pass along enough that the kid's life can be better than yours. And if you're really godly, some of it trickles down to the grandkids. So if that is the correct sort of goal in life with your finances, then what you're saying doesn't make sense. 
But if what you're saying is true, then that thought process can't be correct. We can't have both. Mm -hmm. So how should we think about stewarding properly for the next generation? Well, it really, I, I want to use Chad as an example here. In giving that dollar as a kid, I wonder if, let's say that your dad had been like Bill Gates. I wonder if he had given you, if, if your parents could have given you more if they left you a massive inheritance than if they had taught you what to do with that one dollar. My dad, who's a, an entrepreneur, says oftentimes, if you took all the money away from the wealthiest people in the, in the US, for instance, in about 30 years, they'd have it all back hmm. because they have figured out how to make money, in other words. Now, this is a, maybe a bad example, but the point is leaving a bunch of money really doesn't do anything, you know, which is one of the reasons Bill Gates isn't leaving all of his money mm -hmm. to his kids. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just think we have to redefine what we, what we mean by inheritance. When, when Chad's parents taught him what to do with that $1, they taught him what to do with a million dollars. And that's a beautiful inheritance. So I, I don't want, I want to set my kids up for success. And I'm not actually sure that leaving them a lot of money is the best way to do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I feel a lot like you. I'm, I'm just figuring, I'm not good at this. Yeah. And I'm thinking a lot of this through for the first time now with, you know, uh, three kids. Yep. Do you have thoughts on that, Chad? I, I do. I, so I, I do think it could be a bad thing, um, but only if, like, like you were talking about, my parents, I think, really did. And I don't know how intentional that they were trying to be with teaching me about giving, but I, I watched and heard my parents talk about giving. I, I watched them write the checks. I, I knew that they were doing that every week. And I also knew that they were doing it even in times when it hurt. Mm -hmm. I grew up with a great life. I guess it, in today's standards, it would have been considered a middle class, maybe upper middle class um, lifestyle. So I had everything I needed, but my, my parents also worked very, very hard um, and they didn't have just massive surplus so I, I do know that at times that was a struggle for them to to write those checks um so I, I feel like it would be a great thing if i could leave my family with uh, an inheritance of financial means and have also left them with an inheritance knowing what they need to be doing with that and that they should also grow that or be a good steward of that and let it help grow the kingdom in their generation and in the generation after them or as long as, as that would go. So I do think there is some value in you being able to leave your kids with an inheritance if you've also taught them how to handle it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what about in the context of, you know, you can have, you have this money and you know, you can have this money, make you more money. And so you sort of make a deal with God, like, I'm not going to give this to you right now. I'll invest it. It'll make more money. And then that'll allow me to give even more. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, cause, cause I've definitely been guilty of that in the past. It was sort of my MO in my twenties. And my wife can tell you the deal was, I mean, it wasn't a deal to get married, but I was pretty straight up with her. We got married really young. And like my 20s is a time where I'm going to work a lot and I'm going to go in early. I'm going to come home late sometimes and I'm going to work a lot in my 20s and we're going to live on very, very little because I want to get this ball of wax rolling so that it can gain momentum into the 30s. And 
so I know there was times then, and honestly, it's in my heart now, where I'll have the ability to give, but the thought will cross my mind. If I invest it, it'll make more money, which means I can give God even more money. And I know Warren Buffett actually went through this. So Warren Buffett took a lot of, and obviously this is a massive, this is a completely different scale. He took a lot of sort of flack um, a few years ago, because, well, yeah, years ago, in his many years of making a lot of money, the first good number of those years, he he was not known for giving. But in his mind, he was, and actually, I don't want to speak out of turn, but the case could be made that he sort of, this led to one of his separations in marriage because he was wanting to let his investment pool grow and he was okay giving it. He just didn't want to do it quite yet to the extent. And then now he is giving a ton, uh, but his sort of strategy was make money, make money, make money, make money, be careful not to give too much away, build that egg, and then just let it kind of have that surplus and then give out of just that massive sort of engine that he created. So do you ever deal with that, Chad, um, that the tension between giving or investing it more so that you can give more later? Yes. I'm actually struggling with that right now and wrestling with that question because it's it's very easy. You know, I work for Woodtex, so I get paid to work for Woodtex. That's simple. Like I'm getting paid. It's not an investment. It's not a a, it's not my business, so I'm not putting that money back into that business to grow it. That's real, to me, cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Where I struggle and where I'm asking a lot of questions and I don't have the answer to what you're saying, but I, I will say that I'm struggling with it too, is in businesses that I own, how do I give out of those? Mm-hmm. Because on paper, they may be showing a massive loss, but maybe they're generating a nice cash flow. So how do I work through that? I don't have the answer because I'm, I'm yeah. working through it myself. What I, what I am doing in practice is even in those businesses, I am, I am giving already. Mm. Um, I have some of those businesses I have never paid myself or even, you know, eaten a meal off of, but I feel like if I can get in the act of, of giving again, I, I feel like I'm, I'm at least in the right posture. Mm-hmm. And some of those, and you you know uh, a little bit about, you know a lot about other businesses that, that I'm in. Sometimes that, that has meant bringing other people into that and allowing them to be a part of this mm-hmm. so that we can challenge each other on how are you stewarding that business? Because I know that that business is 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 really successful and I know it has the potential to make a lot of money for you so it it's also like an accountability where I'm bringing other men and other people into that part of my world so that they can continue to ask me like that question you just asked me yeah okay so I'm 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 going to get super practical here and you guys can let us know how you do things to the extent that you're comfortable with but as it relates earlier to the 10% tithe. What I want to get to is like practically how you, if you have any tips or tricks for practically how you structure or order your money as it comes in. And so one of the things that was probably the most helpful for me was, I think the book is called uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. And I don't even know if it's a Christian book, but it basically talks about a story in ancient times and the whole the point of the story is to instruct you on how to handle your money. And the main thought in there is, which I would agree with, 
just like work expands to the time allotted to it, if you have three days to get something done, it'll take three days. If you have one day, you get it done in one day. The same is true for money. Expenses expand to the basically a space amount of, uh, allotted to it. Your income goes up, so do your expenses. And the, one of the, the the main point of that book that was most helpful for me was, if you can live on a dollar, you can live on ninety cents. If you can live on a thousand dollars, you can live on nine hundred. In other words, if as the money comes in, you set ten percent aside immediately, you'll be fine. And so as it relates very practically, sort of what I do with the multiple things going on is 10% of what comes in immediately gets set aside. So I don't even think about it, out of sight, out of mind. And then that sort of turns into my investment pool, essentially, because my thought process is instead of saving money for rainy days, invest that money in good cash flowing assets, and then it'll be paying you in rainy days. So, and then sort of looking at, and this is where it gets difficult if you have businesses, it's like, what's your income? It's hard to actually know. Um, but trying to figure out the best you can on a quarterly, say, basis on what is your income and then giving sort of a set amount out of that. And But the other thing that, um, that we started probably a year and a half ago, two years ago, my wife and I were driving to Chattanooga and she was reading... Is it the verse? Is it? I think it's Malachi three ten where it talks about robbing God. Um, I think it's Malachi somewhere, and I think it was actually her idea. But it was following the thought process of setting the ten percent aside. Let's set an X percent aside of what comes in, and that'll be like other giving. So I don't know if we call that offerings or whatever you call that, but like other giving. So you see a need, you give out of that fund. And that's different than what you give like weekly, say to to church, a local church. So that's just some practical things that I'm doing. I'd love to hear practical things that you guys are doing on how to order your money as it comes in so it doesn't get away from you. Well, I, I could go very quickly because I'm not very good at this. And um, my wife and I, uh, Jessica, is by far better with numbers than I am. I have a very sort of like ready, fire, aim kind of thing about money. Um, but I don't think that I, I worship it by God's grace, but I'm certainly tempted to. And um, it really is helpful for us to do exactly what you said, to just write the check right off the top for the Lord without fail and adjust. Because it's going to, in our case, you know, we have three young kids, you know, we're on the front end of like paying student loans and all kinds of dumb things that I shouldn't have done. And yet we want to, you know, David chatted me this point earlier, but, you know, David says, I won't give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. So we want to feel as if, yeah, we're adjusting to giving to the Lord and we're not asking the Lord to adjust to us. I mean, that feels good. I mean, Ray, uh, Ray Ortland, our pastor, oftentimes says, you know, how, in asking the question, how much should you give? Well, give until it feels good. You know, mm. push through whatever that barrier is that doesn't feel good and give until it starts feeling good. Like, mm. it's like, it's hilarious. Like, this yeah. is crazy. Yes. <laughs> so we, we just, that's our very simple practice. And then beyond that, we're just looking for opportunities to, to give, you know, I, I want somebody to be able to knock on my front door and say, hey man, I need 50 bucks. I need a hundred bucks. And I want to be able to give to them. So we, we plan for that. Yeah. So very similar. We, I do give off the top, you know, that's going to happen every month. But I need to also honor my wife in this conversation too, because one of the best things I did as it relates to giving and 
my thoughts on money is I married Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> she she was also brought up in a very, very giving family and also had the same thoughts about debt that I have. Um, so we, we entered into our marriage in a very, very good spot. As a result of that, as we have made more money, we have kept our, our lifestyle fairly the same. I mean, we have improved it over the years uh, that we've been married 15 years. But I say that because if we can keep our lifestyle uh, similar and we continue to make more money, then the quote 10%, the tithe, whatever you want to call it, that becomes, you know, that's you do that very quickly, but the pool of money that you have to give as offering uh, becomes greater. And I can specifically remember a moment with an event that Sarah and I were attending. It was a, a ministry that she was very passionate about. And so it became, you know, the time to, to give, give your money. Well, she, she gave me the, the checkbook. And she said, you know, what, what do you want to do? And I can specifically remember me pushing it back to her and saying, you write the check Mm -hmm. and whatever you want to give, Mm -hmm. give it. And that was a, that was a moment for me that I kind of thought, man, I am moving forward because now I have given her, I I didn't know what she was going to write the check for. Mm -hmm. I really didn't. I mean, yep. she could have <laughs> she yep. could have gone crazy on me but i was prepared for whatever that meant mm-hmm. and it was that was like a, a moment where i kind of wanted to laugh or cry or, mm-hmm. or whatever <laughs> but that was a moment where i, I thought man I, I i'm growing mm-hmm. in this part of my journey yes yeah praise god so back to you chad so you say you give off the top monthly so do you ju- i'm i'm actually just the reason I'm curious about this is because I find it instructive. Money's a hard thing to talk about, honestly. You don't walk up to someone and say, man, can you tell me exactly how you manage your money? It's just not a thing that you really do. And there's been a couple of times where I've heard like someone has said what they've done or I've heard and I'm just like, oh, wow, that's like, it's instructive to a young man. Like there was one time this older gentleman, I found out that he paid off someone's house so that they could do a certain ministry thing. Well, I would never, I, you know, that's like, wow. That's wow. like, you, you just wouldn't, those are just not things that you commonly hear. And yet when you hear like an actual practical example, it's really instructive. So do you look at how much has come in that month and say X percent, or do you have a set amount? How do you handle savings? When you say you give off the top, how do you, how do you do that monthly? Well, again, for my job, it's, it's easy because, I know exactly what was paid to me for that that month and and I just give off off the the top and then everything else would would just be would be separate. We don't have like a a giving fund or uh, we just respond to and, and I do I will say as as we've moved in our journey it does seem like those opportunities present themselves a lot more often mm. which is great. And with that, I will say there does come, in my opinion, more responsibility for me to inspect and to know about the organizations that I'm giving to, because it's one thing for me, it's one thing for me to, you know, give somebody a hundred bucks and go to an event and I 
I'm eating or whatever, and I give them a hundred bucks. When those numbers start becoming greater, I think I do also have a responsibility to make sure that the organization that I'm giving to when it's outside the church is also being a steward of the money mm-hmm. because I, I don't want to invest in an organization that is not being prudent with the gifts that they're being given. Mm-hmm. So I do find myself now becoming, I think we're, we're giving to fewer organizations or ministries, but what we are giving into those ministries becomes greater. Yeah. And so I'm beco- we're becoming more invested both mentally, spiritually, and then with our, with our money into the organizations that we're uh, giving to. Yes. TJ, I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question. Then I want to talk about debt. It's sort of a dangerous question, but I, but I'm curious because I love to ask questions that relate to people's particular insights and experiences and you're a pastor so I'm curious if and when you see people going wrong with their money, are there any common denominators that you can say that happened, that happened, that happened? There's some common threads throughout that when you're seeing people go wrong with their money. Or, you know, my assumption that you see that as a pastor of a church could could actually be wrong. So if you see that happening in multiple cases where people are going wrong, are there common denominators you can point to? Well, Actually, it's difficult for me to even know. Instagram is probably a way that I, you know, am able to make at least some kind of informed judgment as to where people's heart really is in their money. But I don't know who gives what at Emmanuel, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, None of the pastors do. Will you say more about the Instagram thing? uh, Yeah, I will. Um, None of the pastors see what anybody gives. Mm. So we have no idea Mm. who... Other than like, do they pull up in the in the church with like a nicer car? Maybe we can yep. make an informed judgment. But, um, but yeah, Instagram really is. As a pastor, we look at Instagram. I mean, like, not as a way of like, oh, you know, bringing the law down on people, but as a way one to know. Okay, we haven't seen this person in three weeks. Well, look at their Instagram. Oh, it's because they've been in Morocco or something. You know, mm-hmm. that it's really help. It's a helpful tool. Mm-hmm. But Instagram really signals where your heart is mm-hmm. because the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart, which is just another way of saying what's on the inside finds its way out. And Instagram is just a mouthpiece to say what you really care about. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, when I see, I, this is like no one in particular, and this is a hypothetical scenario, but it's relatable to real scenarios that I do see. If I see a guy, a young guy who I know is, you know, just sort of slacking through life based on spending a lot of time near him. And he's, you know, he's drinking Pappy Van Winkle every every night of the week. I'm thinking, you got him you don't just have like a drinking problem. <laughs> you got a money problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like you shouldn't be you if you are gonna drink, you shouldn't be drinking Pappy. Yeah. We all know how much that costs. You yeah. Know? Uh, so it just Instagram really does alert you to where people are, you know, where their heart is. Yeah. But, yeah. How about box wine? Box wine means you're very shrewd. Uh, now, did you have to check the box wine thing on your church card if you had? <laughs> if box I had, wine that I'd week? be kicked out. Okay. <laughs> Remember, SBC. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, uh, you're speaking about things I don't have much experience with, so um, I get to to be curious um, and be okay with it. Okay, I want to ask about debt. What is both you guys' viewpoints on debt? Absolutely wrong. Okay. 
the best thing you can ever do. What does the Bible what does the Bible say about that? All right. So again, Let's I, get it right I exercise the right to get be it right. completely wrong on everything I've said. <laughs> Me today. too. Okay. Yeah. Um this could be an area where I am wrong because I, I do I do compartmentalize this. Personal finances and business. I compartmentalize them. So personal finance, I do believe in being debt free. We've been blessed in, in that. Um Business wise, to I, be clear, house, cars, everything. Yes. So we, okay. yes, two years ago on May the something, we took our whole family out to dinner and celebrated our, our mortgage being paid mm. for that day. We, we, we never have had debt on our cars and things like that. Yep. But the mortgage was a big deal. Sure. Uh, we do, we do have my dad and I, or my family and my dad's family bought a farm. You've been to, uh, we do have, small amount of debt on that but other than that we don't have any personal debt mm -hmm. business wise i do right or wrong I, I feel differently because other people are paying that debt not me mm -hmm. uh, so i'm in i am investing in business debt that other people are are paying for mm -hmm. i feel differently about that again i'm not saying it's right or wrong i don't feel like the bible speaks to debt as being a, a sin I think it definitely speaks to being very smart and knowing and counting your cost and understanding what that could mean down the road. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in my understanding, I, I don't believe that debt is a sin, even if it was in my personal finances. Yep. Okay. And congratulations on paying your house off, by the way. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. Awesome. And so you wouldn't say that if someone has a mortgage, it's necessarily wrong. I think it's great to work towards not but if you were to go back and you know 15 years ago and had the same situation you would again take a mortgage on a house even though I, it was I in, had your, to. in your personal I, absolutely name. i just sure. we wouldn't we wouldn't have been able to just pay for a house at the beginning but what i said a minute ago about our our standard of living staying the same we still live in that house right and i, I also mentioned the pool for giving being larger well that was a huge a huge swing in that mm -hmm. uh, because not having a mortgage created automatically every month, a very different scenario for discretionary income. Now we've we've also been able to do more things with our family, and having means does create. What I love about it is it it gives me the opportunity to create experiences that I couldn't do without it. Mm -hmm. I do like what having more money offers my family and, and and me and others to to have experiences that I couldn't have without it. So I, yes. I just don't I don't want to I definitely would not want to come across in this as I like the things that money can can do. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it can be very, very good. And I do have a theory that there is an amount of money that will ruin any man. Mm. And what I'm trying to do is to make sure that I am always playing defense mm -hmm. yeah so little as possible and personal or, or preferably none but don't believe the bible is saying no debt at all and in the case where you buy an apartment building and that rent pays for the mortgage payment and plus cash flows you're okay with that correct tj what do you what do you think the bible is saying about that well yeah i think the bible is saying it's a bad idea and that you should you should try not to uh stay in debt thinking in new testament terms just about the life of the apostle Paul, there is a, it'd be, it'd be really easy to make the case that Paul thought you should stay as nimble as you can for Jesus. 
um, so that you can maximize your ability to serve. So the fact is you cannot in good conscience have a lot of debt and not in some sense be serving that debt because you, would, you wouldn't be a good Christian to be doing that. You need to pay your debts. So if you want to stay nimble for Jesus and, and be able to actually serve him with your, your whole heart, I think you need to, you need to try to pay your debts. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm a guy with student loan debt. And in one sense, I regret some of it because I didn't have to have as much as I did. I, I took the, the six-year plan for the first four years. And so <laughs> I, could, I could have less. Um, but but my, my second degree um, was an expensive degree, and I don't regret it because I couldn't get it any other way. Now, I don't like the system. I think the system is broken. I think education costs too much. But if I was going to go into debt again for something, that would be something I would go into debt for because it has paid dividends in terms of opening up doors, um, but also just the actual, the investment it was into me. Mm-hmm. And I was looking, I think a dad, a husband and a dad should look at himself like an investment. What are you investing in you? Like, in other words, how are you building out your capacities for Jesus such that you are a worthy investment for someone to hire and pay the money that it takes to pay off that degree. Yeah. So we have to be shrewd about these things, but I don't like debt. Yeah. It's ter- I mean, I'm trying to get out of it. Yeah. I appreciate those thoughts. And um, Wayne Grudem wrote a book on, I, I feel like it's not talked about that much, but the, it was Adam Smith that wrote the book, The Wealth of Nations, basically the, mm-hmm. the seat of capitalism. And Wayne Grudem wrote a book a couple of years ago, The Poverty of Nations. And in it, he teamed up with, with, an, uh, with an economist and their whole deal was that Good business is essentially the way that we can fix poverty. There's no other. We can't give enough to fix poverty. And in his study on economics, he realized with that book, and he's just really smart in general, but there is a debt to the extent that you're talking about it actually plays a role in society and and, and in economics. And it's hard to – it gets like above my mind, but it's hard to to have the economy that we have without debt. and now not personal or consumer debt. So as it relates to you have to serve that debt, I completely agree with that. I mean, when you have consumer debt, personal debt, you're, you are serving that debt. I might align a little bit with you on that. If that's a five-unit apartment building over there and I have to take debt to buy it, but it's a good investment at cash flows and I have a really great property manager, they're serving that debt. Yeah. Um, and one of the points that Wayne makes in, uh, I think it's his book, Business for the Glory of God, is you know the Bible says that you should owe no man anything except you love one another. And some people take that to saying you shouldn't owe anyone, like you shouldn't take debt because now I owe you. He just makes the point, you know, if I borrow money from you, Chad, and and you say I have five years to pay it back, I don't owe that money to you. I owe the next payment. So what are your your guys' thoughts on that? And a problem if I'm not making a payment because I owed that payment to you, but I don't owe the whole thing. You said I have five years to give it back. So what I really owe is the next payment. Okay, so so are you you saying that like if it was a hundred thousand dollars total and the payment monthly was a thousand, mm-hmm. you're saying that you wouldn't owe me the a hundred thousand, you would only owe me the next months. Yeah, that's right. Um, because if we take that scriptural passage literally, which TJ you can speak into maybe this is a, a good idea or a bad idea, but if we're saying you shouldn't owe anyone anything, then clearly that would include debt. But if it's true that yeah, I owe you a thousand bucks next month, but I don't owe you the hundred grand because you said I have five years. 
you essentially gave me a hundred grand and said, give me a thousand dollars a month. And I said, okay, so I owe you a thousand dollars a month. That's what I owe. Right. Sure. I owe a hundred grand, but I owe the thousand dollars a month. So where we go wrong is if, if I'm trying to cheat you out of that payment, then that verse clearly talks to that. I owe you a thousand bucks and I'm not paying it. That's wrong. But he makes the case where what you owe is the next payment. You need to make sure you can pay that. So you're, are you saying from the borrower standpoint, as long as you can make the next payment that you're good? It's, it's a, that's Wayne's point. Yeah. Well, I think that's how most people think about it, right? I mean, I don't think anybody borrows. Well, they do. I think they count. They, they do look at the total, but most people are just making sure if they feel like they can absolutely cover the monthly payment, they feel good about that, right? That's mm-hmm. that's why they they do it. They want to find something that works in their budget monthly, and they know that over time that's going to equal the the total amount. But they're not as concerned about that as they are what yeah. the monthly. Yeah, I only bring that up because I am with you, TJ, on that. You need to serve debt. Then there's a lot of cases where debt's a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, however when people are making the case that the Bible says no debt, it's difficult to imagine an economy running. When you really get into the economics of things, it's difficult to imagine a prosperous economy with no debt. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's like, well, then is the Bible really saying no debt? Or is it is it giving instructions on how to, when to use it, when not, and when you do, how to wisely use it? Do you have any final thoughts on that? Or I really, uh, to be perfectly honest, I have not thought about this until today. Mm. I don't know. Wayne Grudem is a brilliant guy, and uh, so I'm gonna. I would tend to default to his research on the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, certainly personally, there's no doubt that debt. I mean, the Apostle Paul, for instance, says, you know, if you can, speaking about uh, people who are in, enslaved in bondage, if you can buy your freedom, in some way, then do it by all means. Do it because it's going to mm-hmm. provide li- a, a, a liberation in the service of Christ. It wasn't yes. that he had a problem with their bondage in the first place, um, even though the, the New Testament sets up a way of thinking about relationships which would eventually undermine slavery as we know it. Yes. So the Bible was responsible for that. But the Apostle Paul saw the value in just being, being nimble for mm-hmm. Jesus. So I, that's, I, that's the place I want to get to, because then, you know, just what Chad was saying, all of a sudden you have bandwidth for loving other people that you just didn't have before because you were serving this debt in some way. Yes. Okay, so we need to wrap up uh, pretty soon. TJ, I want to ask you another question. And this probably speaks to some personalities, maybe more than others. It certainly speaks to to my personality quite a bit. But you mentioned that this was your sermon just this past Sunday. And I'm not quoting you verbatim, but the thought was that we don't need to be so concerned about making our mark here Mm -hmm. on earth. And if our names never wind up on a wall here on earth or a plaque, it's okay because they're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm-hmm. For me, that really takes the pressure off as someone that tends towards performance mm-hmm. and feeling like I do need to be significant to some degree and I, I should leave a decent legacy. Yeah. Um, can you unpack that a little bit more? Because sure. it's, it's an instructive. Yeah, sure. Well, one of the things that we say at Emmanuel is no, and this is taken from someone else, I can't remember who, it's in Ray Orland's little green book, The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ. He quotes this quote in there, but um, no person can give at the same time the impression that, you know, he himself is clever and that Jesus is mighty to save. 
So at any one time, I am, I am giving the impression, the, what I'm saying to the world is either Jesus is mighty to save or basically I'm, I'm pretty great, I'm pretty clever. And so at bottom of Christianity is a commitment to the glory of Jesus. And what that means is the fame of Jesus. Glory is just another way of saying fame. We live to make the real Jesus non-ignorable. And that's our, one of our, part of our mission statement at Emmanuel. We are here so that Jesus will not be forgotten. Not, but we're going to, I mean, even, even amazing people like Charles Spurgeon, there's one of my favorite quotes in the world is from Charles Spurgeon, where he says, we're like tiny coral insects. We live beneath the waves and we're piling up rocks, you know, which one day will be a reef, which one day will be an island on, upon which one day will grow flowers and trees. But we're doing our work beneath the waves. He says, we'll do our work beneath the waves. We will do our work and die, but the rock is rising. Others will do the same, but the rock is rising. So a Christian is just one small part of a massive movement of the kingdom of God that's playing out in this world. And we are here right now talking about Jesus because of, well, for instance, in the book of Hebrews, in chapters 11 and 12, the author is sort of looking back on Christian history at that point. And he looks, he's looking all the way through into the Old Testament. You know, even Samson makes the list of like heroes of the faith. But then he, he works his way up to present time. And he says, and others who were, you know, went about in the camel, in the skins of goats. And, you know, they were sawn in two and all these things. And he, and the, he ends with, of whom the world was not worthy. Now, we don't even know their names. He just concludes with, and others. So there's a ton of people. We, we have no idea what their names are. And the author is saying to us, the world is not worthy of them. This world did not deserve their presence. And yet, we don't even know their names. Mm. That is a Christian. That's you, Ken Lapp, a man of whom the world is not worthy. We are going to outlive this world. We are going to outlast it. So, you know, long after the cliffs of Dover are no more, Kent Lap will be still here, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, when America is a footnote in, in the annals of human history, then we're still going to be serving the Lord. So we just don't care about having our name in the spotlights. We do care. The book of Luke is really helpful in this respect. We do care about storing up treasure in heaven is one way the Bible puts it. I love this verse in, uh, in Luke where, where he says, uh, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous mammon. Uh, so that when it fails, uh, not if it fails, when it fails, they will receive you into the heavenly dwellings. So another great way to think about money is that it's for making heavenly friends. And so in the in one sense, the Bible is actually saying things about our money that maybe we wouldn't have the guts to say. The Bible saying, no, your money can can actually translate into heavenly gain. We say all the time, you can't take it with you. And Luke is saying, no, 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 but you can send it ahead. <laughs> so that's actually a much higher view of money than we mm -hmm. than we would have. I have no idea how I got on this, this yeah. subject. But no, that's you're, well, you're answering my question. Fine. Okay, last question for each of you. I'd love to hear each of you answer this. So, Chad, you first. As a business guy, an executive, an investor, what do you want to be known for as it relates to your money after you're dead and gone? And TJ, as a pastor, teacher, theologian, scholar, what do you want to be known for as it relates to your money after you're dead and gone? Hmm. I haven't really thought about that a ton, but I, I would love to be known as someone that was generous. Uh, if, if I could 
if people are talking about me when I'm dead and gone and they say something that he was very quick to give and very generous with the things he was blessed with, I would, I'd be really happy with that. I mean, I, I hope my, my kids understand how passionate I am about this subject. I could, I could, I could sit here all day and talk about this. It's very passionate to me. And it also, every time I talk about these things and the fact that this is being recorded is a challenge to me at the same time because now I have to go out and really think about things that I've said today and make mm-hmm. sure that I'm living that and and exercising it. But yeah, I think if I think if people would know me as generous, that would be honoring Mm-hmm. to God. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sobered by this conversation too. Um, I want to be a catalyst for people uh, like you guys seeing their, what God has given them as a strategy for advancing his kingdom in this world. Christianity is very entrepreneurial. It's Jesus who says to us, you know, the sons of darkness are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. In other words, you guys, be shrewd in the way that you think about your money. You know, Martin Luther, for instance, outprinted the Catholic Church something like 10 to 1 during the Reformation. He the just, church? Yeah. I mean, like... One the, guy? Yeah, one guy. I mean, it was something like 90% of, of all the books that you could get, all the anything in print that you could get in Germany at the time of the Reformation was by Martin Luther. It's like going to the bookstore, 90% of the books being by one person. So he was shrewd. That was very, very shrewd. And I, I don't yet think that we are thinking about internet in that way. Luther would. Guarantee he thought about the printing press that way. He would think about the internet that way. I don't yet think that we as entrepreneurs and businessmen, because that's my background, are are yet thinking about how are our businesses, how can we come together? How can we parlay what God has given us into a movement by God's grace? We're not going to do it in in the power of the flesh. But Spurgeon used to say, without him, without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. Mm. So it's a both and. It's what only God can do, but God uses means. And so we, how can we actually leave something? I, so to answer your question, I want to leave a D.L. Moody-like legacy. Moody did this by God's grace. It wasn't D.L. Moody that built you know, the, what we now know as like the Moody Institute and, and that changed the shape of Chicago. It was Moody was just the spark and there were all kinds of people around Moody, starting YMCA's, you know, Sunday schools, planting churches, helping organize, you know, organizations that cared for people who were being overworked, you know. So they actually changed the shape of the culture in Chicago. And it and it's going on even to this day, not to the extent it was then, but but Moody was a catalyst for helping people with money and with influence see that the reason you have it. The whole reason you have it is because the kingdom of God can be advanced in the world as never before. So if I come to the end of my days and and I've been able to be a contributor to that catalyst, I will feel good about that no matter how much money I've made along the way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks guys for your time. Really appreciate it. I know you both are really busy guys, but you're two guys that I really love and respect and wanted to get on this podcast specifically to talk about the money issue. So thank you very much. Thanks, Jen. Thank thank you.